So I think we're uh, ready to kick it off. Um, I'm sitting here with two pretty, uh, what I would say, you know, top-notch digital health stakeholders. Um, I'm going to let them give a little brief introduction about themselves, uh, you know, their company and their and their company's vision, and then uh, we're going to have a brief presentation and then uh, a few questions after that. So, uh, Sandeep, start with you. Sure. Hi, everyone. I'm uh, Sandeep Pillum. I'm a physician entrepreneur, currently chief innovation officer at Medici, uh, and we have a platform that allows for uh, doctors and patients to directly communicate with each other. So, uh, so some of the panelists suggested earlier, would it be easier for me to get care from doctors that know me versus unknown doctors that I can get care from remotely? So we facilitate that in a remote, secure environment uh, that allows me to have that um, virtual relationship with my own providers and care teams. On the flip side, on the, on the doctor side of the platform, it allows doctors to have that same relationship with their patients in a virtual environment that fits into my workflow, as well as peer-to-peer uh, -peer communication to manage care coordination issues. Um, so essentially, we are a secure HIPAA-compliant messaging tool with telehealth uh, components, allows with EMR integration and payments to facilitate payments for those care uh, opportunities. Thanks. Jay? Um, my name is Jay Parkinson, uh, as you can see. Um, I am founder and CEO of a company called Sherpa. I'll talk a little bit about that later. Um, but trained in pediatrics and preventive medicine. And um, one of my claims to fame is I've spent roughly $50 million trying to figure out what the internet means to uh, being a doctor and a patient. So um, it's a lot of money. I, I hope that I've, uh, I've put that uh, to good use. No. So, do you just want to yeah, kind of go right into it? Okay. So, anyway, I was asked to come and talk about the rise of concierge medicine. You know, the way I define concierge medicine is it's, it's simply paying a premium for care from a doctor, right? As appointment, you know, appointments waits, uh, appointment waits skyrocket. There's really a small subset of doctors who are just trying to charge a premium for the access to their 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 services. Um, and there's roughly right now about twelve thousand doctors that have sort of done this, opted out of the system um, to deliver this type of service to patients. Now, there's also a subset of patients who are saying, like, hey, I think that's a wonderful thing. I would love to have access to a doctor. Well, wouldn't we all? However, the estimates are roughly around 3 million uh, folks uh, across America that are um, that are paying a, uh, a premium for concierge care. Um, so concierge is a funny word. It typically implies, you know, high-end, expensive, that sort of thing. Um, but really what it's doing is it's providing access. It's providing convenience for patients. It's providing ex access to their expertise. Um, also bragging rights. You know, I mean, you can say, hey, I, 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 I am a member of this doctor, and this doctor has the best brand in my city. You know, it's a little bit of bragging rights there. Um, but even it's also a little bit nostalgic. It's a lot of older folks, uh, busy folks that say, hey, you know, um, I like uh, having nice Rolexes. I like the concept of Marcus Welby um, because, you know, Marcus Welby made us all feel good, you know. Um, so, there's only one little problem, and I just say, hey, but the internet, right? The internet kind of happened. 
Um, so there are companies like Sandeep's, like Medici, that really enables this online doctor-patient communication. Now there's other things out there that are just these point solutions, something like Lemonade, for example, where there's a finite list of things that people can, um, you know, they go to the site and say, I have a UTI, answer a few questions, okay, here's your prescription, peace out, done, right? And then there's something called um, Sherpa, which is a company I started seven years ago. Um, and I don't know, do you guys remember this cartoon? Right? Um, the, 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 the concierge doctors would have gotten away with this if it hadn't been for these sort of meddling children, um, you know, saying, hey, this is, this is something new and something weird. So new models kind of make old models obsolete. I consider concierge care an old model, right? Um, it's, uh, it's, it really is just, you know, a lot of things are coming along nowadays that's saying, you know, um, we can solve for the access problem, we can solve for the convenience problem, we can solve for the expertise problem, and we can solve for the sort of bragging rights problem. But ultimately, there's going to be a reckoning, right? There's going to be something that comes along and says, you know what? Um, Sorry. <laughs> so anyway, there's a reckoning that's going to come along that says, you know, we're going to maximize access, we're going to maximize convenience, we're going to maximize expertise, we're going to maximize bragging rights, and we're going to appeal to the masses, right? And that one thing at the end is really important. It's going to appeal to the masses because I think after concierge care has been around for, you know, a couple decades now, and it's kind of reached a peak at three million, we're probably not going to have much more influence. There's probably a not a lot of people out there that's willing to pay $2,000 plus per year just to have access to the doctors. So that being said, um, what does this mean? Well, concierge primary care, um, the time spent with you, they probably give you about a, an hour worth of time uh, in a visit. Uh, cost is roughly $2,000 uh, per year. Um, they can treat roughly 1,500 conditions. That's what a typical uh, primary care doctor treats, right? They can, um, they can communicate with you. They often say, hey, you can come see me in my office. Here's my phone number. Here's, you can text me, whatever you need. I'm here. I'm just at your, at your service. Um, so they can, the geographic reach of them, though, is it's 10 miles. It's not very far, right? You have to live conveniently located next to this person, right? And then so there's this other thing, which is direct primary care, which is very similar. The only difference meaning it's sort of concierge light. It's instead of $2,000 a year, it's $900 a year, right? Um, the concierge doctors typically cap their practice at three to 400. DPC is about five to 600 typically. Um, and then there's this new thing called virtual primary care and I'll get into that in a second. But you know, the other things that are solving access are um, video visits and point solutions, and you can see the influence that they have. So how are we going to get there? How are we going to get to you know, access, convenience, expertise, um, and also just you know, reaching the masses? To me, what I say, it's about time, right? It's about how doctors spend their time. Um, so there's been a massive change in how we spend our time and um, 
on getting just life done, right? We don't have to pick up a phone and call a cab anymore, right? So the big change in our culture that's happened is asynchronous messaging, right? Um, asynchronous messaging to me is, we're going to look back at this and we're going to say, asynchronous messaging was just as important to our, our, our species as the printing press, right? So what is synchronous and asynchronous messages? Well, synchronous conversations are these exam room conversations, right? Uh, there are about 1.1 billion of those per year. Um, phone calls, significantly decreasing. You guys have probably noticed that roughly 80% of your phone calls are now spam. Um, so, you know, that's fun. Hopefully that decreases the amount of phone calls in our culture. Um, video chats, there's a couple million of those, tens of millions across the, 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 the world per day. Surprisingly few. Um, and then work meetings. You know, we all love them for a day. Those are all synchronous types of conversations, right? Asynchronous are emails, billions and billions a day. Shoot me a text, billions and billions a day. WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger, billions again. Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, all of those. Asynchronous messaging, it's the way our culture is communicating nowadays. So, I'm going to talk to you a little about what the difference is that synchronous and asynchronous allows, right? So, processes are very linear in synchronous conversations. Um, they're prone to bottlenecks. Um, asynchronous conversations are more like triaging your inbox. You can sort of look at things get back to things uh, based on, you know, the importance. Um, oral conversations and synchronous uh, needs to be documented. In asynchronous, the conversation is the documentation. So remember that 40% of a doctor's day spent documenting in the EMR just to get paid? That goes away when the majority of your conversations are asynchronous. Um, it's almost impossible to standardize oral real-time conversations because humans are just, that's how they communicate. Uh, you can't really control how they communicate. Um, but when it's asynchronous, you can standardize how doctors ask questions and how they communicate what something is, right? So with synchronous conversations, they're tiny snapshots. These 10-minute um, office visits are tiny snapshots in an ongoing story. And that ongoing story might be a three-week ordeal for that pneumonia. Um, but then Asynchronous is just quick communications, check-ins. Hey, how are you doing? Um, oral conversations are inefficient. They're expensive, too. Um, asynchronous conversations, they don't have a lot of brick-and-mortar overhead. They're less time to communicate. Not everything needs a meeting. Not everything needs that intensity. And the way I sort of like to show this off is every time someone in our company has a meeting, I like to use this calculator. You plug in how many people are there, what their average salary is, and it spits out how much this meeting costs. Right? It's a perfect example of, for the doctor, that 15-minute meeting is $44 of their time. For the patient who makes, you know, $100,000 salary, it's $210 for that three-hour visit. That's what it costs them just in time. Right? So, synchronous, every conversation is deemed important enough to call a meeting. Could you imagine? Sounds like the 1990s, 1980s. Now we have email. It's a little more efficient, uh, a little more manageable. So, most healthcare communication just doesn't require the intensity of an in-person meeting. Um, also, when time is limited, and you're a doctor and you're seeing a patient, right? And all you have is this 10 minutes. Like, if you, if you see something that you don't really know what's going on, you got to wing it. Seriously, that's what we do, right? So whenever you don't have to wing it, you can go read up on something and then get back to the patient. That's a lot better. 
So with synchronous conversations, when time is limited, there's no chance to easily call a curbside. With asynchronous, you can say, hey, specialist, jump into this thread, tell me what's going on, and then let's talk about this with the patient together. So. Um, Whenever it's synchronous conversations as well, um, if you've only got 10 minutes in the visit and you don't know if or when you'll ever see them again, you kind of bring out the big guns and overtreat them. With asynchronous, you can say, hey, I don't know what's going on right now, but I'm going to check back in in four hours. And if things are better, great. If things are not, we're going to step it up. Right? So you can practice very conservatively. So with synchronous, doctors have to be in the office 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. With asynchronous, they can work from anywhere on their own time and terms. So um, what can we learn from all this? Well, asynchronous communication is how we communicate communicate nowadays. It just is. Um, asynchronous processes are highly efficient and cost-effective, and so there's a consistent demand for care. We know that there's demand here, uh, but usage correlates nicely with the scope of capability of an innovation, right? And I'll talk to you a little about that in a second. Um, but care must be available almost immediately. That's what people expect. That's why concierge care exists. Um, consumers will choose more expensive care if it aligns with their normal behaviors. Um, that is really when you compare tele telehealth to uh, urgent care, for example. Urgent care is about 100 times larger than telehealth, and they've been around for about the same time. So. Um, Asynchronous processes enable massive scale. So I'm going to talk to you a little about Sherpa. What we're basically trying to do, I think that there's, um, I think concierge care should kind of, it should exist, obviously, for bragging rights purposes. But in reality, what you really need to do is bring that access convenience uh, down to the patient uh, so that everyone can afford this type of care. So virtual primary care is basically a new model of primary care, right? Um, some people call it concierge care. I call it very, very, very inexpensive kind of concierge care, right? It's the same doctor. You're working with that doctor. You're communicating with them online the vast majority of the time. Sometimes they're going to say, hey, I need you to be seen. Sometimes not. Um, but if you do need to be seen, they're going to arrange all that care for you, right? So we hire full-time doctors. This is all they do, right? This is they, they practice virtual primary care via Sherpa all day, every day. They're working with the same patients. The patient's working with the same same doctor. Patients have an app. It's available via a browser uh, or Android or, or um, iOS. Doctors have an EMR. We built this from the ground up. It's to, it's to power messaging, uh, e-prescribing, ordering labs, ordering imaging, making referrals, and managing their panel, and automating history taking, and automating um, care plans. So instead of office visits, we have episodes of care. So an episode of care is more like a Gmail thread rather than a 10-minute um, office visit, right? So first thing, step, step one, members reach out via the app and create an episode of care, right? They say, hey, I'm sick, I'm hurt. Then they describe um, their, their symptoms, typically write a paragraph or two. About 25% of the time, they attach a photo. So the app makes it very easy to attach a photo. And then once you, hit, once you create your first episode of care, you, ask, you answer a few basic medical questions. So 
your doctor then gets notifi notification that they have a new episode of care, and they read the story, look at the, look at the photos, and then fire back a series of questions at you all at once. So notice the patients, they can, um, they can respond to these questions. It's free text. Again, it's so people can get their, put it in their own words, help us understand best uh, what's going on. If we need to order labs or imaging tests, uh, we will do that. Those results also flow back into our app um, for the doctors to uh, take action on. If we need to refer you or, or um, if we need to prescribe a medication, all of this done, is done via an e-prescription within the app. If we ever do refer you out to a specialist, protocol is to always get that specialist consult back so that you have access to that. Think of this as sort of Dropbox for your medical records whenever we are first line, um, first place to access care. Um, because people forget 85% of what m your doctor says uh, in an exam room, um, that's a really, really, really bad means of communicating and educating. So really, because this is all asynchronous messaging, um, people can just read, uh, look in and read uh, to figure out what's going on. So over days, weeks, months, these episodes of care last for as long as uh, the issue is an issue. Um, so really quick, 70% um, of, of all things that come at us, uh, which is roughly 1,450 uh, medical conditions, which is on par with the traditional PCP, can be handled without an in-person visit. Right? If we can loop in a specialist, about 80% of things never need to be handled in person. So typical episode of care, three days for UTI, three weeks for pneumonia, three months for a breast cancer scare. You're working with your doctor throughout. So the doctor is like the project lead on your pneumonia. They can loop in care navigators. Um, they can loop in specialists uh, to figure out what the, what's going on with you. So, um, But you're always working with that same doctor, remember? So so what can't we do? Well, we can't do physical exams. The physical exam is a very, very blunt tool. It's not very, it's not standardized. Um, different doctors have different qualities of physical exams. It's kind of like, it's kind of a helpful nostalgic thing occasionally, but for the vast majority of care, you don't need to do uh, physical exams. Um, we can't do primary care procedures like burning off warts, obviously, yet. Um, we choose not to prescribe controlled substances, so if you need that. Uh, we can't do in-office CLIA wave tests, uh, but luckily Walgreens and things like that are, are offering these things. So we can't be in the same physical room as you. So whenever you do have a serious conversation that needs to be had, uh, we definitely get you in the right room with the right person. So practice logistics, and I'm concluding with this, I think this is the most important to understand. You have to look at how much these things cost, right? And whenever you look at traditional fee-for-service for a 10,000-person practice, here are the metrics. It's often a money loser for the institutions that purchase them, um, direct pr primary care. Uh, you see how much it costs uh, for 10,000 people. It's roughly $9 million of uh, cost to the payers. Um, but you see how much money is going to the doctors, right? It costs a lot of money to do this. For, for traditional concierge care, look at those numbers. I mean, there's no way ever concierge care is ever going to be important to solving true healthcare problems unless it's with that, you know, really expensive group in our culture that spends a lot of money and we can really wrap our arms around them 
to make that happen. So virtual primary care, our doctors see about 3,000 people per doctor, um, very low overhead, ridiculously low way to take, to take care of a large population of people. So that being said, I, didn't, I don't mean to sound too down on concierge care. I think it has its place in, um, in our culture, but at the same time, it's, uh, it's, it's an obsolete model that I think is going to be destroyed by Sandeep and myself. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It, it kind of, in, in a way, as you're right, it solves the, you know, in a way it solves the access, the convenience problem, but it's outdated and it kind of brings on other problems with on, within that. And uh, Sandeep, I'd, I'd love to hear your take on how you know, this digital health revolution is kind of um, affecting things and how that plays into, you know, what we know as, as concierge care from, from your perspective. Yeah, and absolutely. And uh, you know, Jay kind of touched on this. It's just the 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 reason we exist is because the consumer demand is already there. So, over the last five years, even though they're inefficient, um, companies have proven that given the option, when you can't see your doctor, they are okay with seeing a doctor. But the benefit, to, like Jay just described, is if you can keep that ongoing relationship with your current team of providers, you can manage a lot more with that one individual. Uh, whereas at these point episodic care that you currently get through virtual telehealth consults, if you can have a relationship with an ongoing care team or, or your own doctor, you can manage a lot more of those symptoms and conditions because they have access to your records, they can order labs. So unlike Sherpa, we empower the doctor-patient relationship to thrive with your existing providers. So there's a place for that, right? So one example is uh, there's, um, you know, currently as reimbursement models catch up, what we're finding is doctors are finding ways to incorporate some of these new models. So I think Drew was talking about how uh, you know RPM codes and CPT codes for parity states now allow doctors to manage their patients with these new care delivery models. Delivery models. The problem for doctors in the past has been they don't have the infrastructure ready to optimize care because they don't have IT departments. They can't implement you know eight-month-long implementation cycles. They want something quick, easy that keeps them compliant, allows them to access their patients and have their patients access them. And we're finding the same thing. Asynchronous is what patients are asking for because it fits with me. If I go to work, my kids are sick, I don't have to take time off, I don't have to take them out of school, but I can access my doctor, I can access my care team. Same thing with managing chronic conditions. So because of the way the app is built, it allows me to have an entire care team in my hand. So that could be my doctor, my nurse navigator, my diabetes educator, even your veterinarian. So we're the one app that allows for access to your own doctors as well as your veterinarian, but we're finding that it's the consumers that are driving this. So I'm sure you've seen this new report that just came out last week that millennials, the concept of having a family doctor is strange to them, right? They're going to use services like Sherpa where they can have that convenience or they're going to find that doctor that gives them that remote care opportunities so they don't have to be tied down to that old notion of, oh, I need to you know, go in to see my doctor. For, uh, just going to ask, for, from a physician perspective, um, can you compare, maybe, maybe sum up you know, what a physician might think about concierge care versus fee-for-service versus, say, telehealth virtual care, you know? Uh, you know, can you kind of sum up those thoughts on what the average physician might think about those? Yeah, just you know, my thoughts on that are uh, typically doctors, you know, it's challenging, right? Uh, the reason people switch to concierge is they're fed up with the reimbursement from payers. They don't want to deal with the overhead of running these organizations that require 30% of their costs to just go to getting paid. So, you know, they're getting back to the fundamentals of the doctor-patient 
care provider, care recipient. And so, you know, there will always be a place for concierge, uh, you know, kind of models. But, you know, to be able to scale access to care, I think is where things are going to go. And the ability for a consumer or a patient to be able to connect with a care provider or a team of care providers is, is I think, where this is going to start shifting to. I think an important thing to remember here, though, is the scape, is the scope of capability for services uh, that are powered by technology. Um, due to the design of uh, typical telehealth visits as we know them today, it's typically the most popular is the random doctor, random patient, 10-minute video conversation. Can't follow up, can't order tests, nothing. Those are limited to literally pink eye and common colds and like very inexpensive 30 simple things, right? So um, a nurse in a Walgreens can do about double what a doctor can do in a video visit, just to keep this in mind, right? Um, so it's really important to, and I think that's one of the unique differences um, between what you guys are doing and what us. It's like you can look at this as either a technology platform or you can look at this as a service. Like we don't sell our technology to anyone else. We sell our service to health plans, self-insured employers, and that sort of thing. So we're sort of like a, you know, full scope primary care practice that scales to all employees across 47 states in America. It's been around for seven years, right? So that's really important. I think um, what we need to sort of remember here is that there's a, there's a real difference between a service and a technology. And I sort of think that, um, you know, just because you have uh, a Starbucks, uh, an espresso machine doesn't mean you have a full-blown Starbucks, right? So and that's what I think is really cool about what you guys are doing. It's just like, can you guys work with um, providers and really help them do this on their own? And it's a challenge, but you know, it's 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 if if that works, it's a really scalable solution and super exciting. Yeah, one quick use case: we actually partnered with the DTC lab testing company, where you know, I'm sure if you've heard of this, where you can walk in and consumers can demand their own lab tests, doctors generate the order, and the challenge was there's a lot of patients out there that don't have access to a doctor or may be embarrassed to go to a doctor, especially on STDs, right? So there's a huge prevalence and incidence now of STDs over the last 10 years, you know, skyrocketing. And so the challenge this, this lab company had was consumers coming back to the labs asking, hey, do you guys have a doctor? We can see if we have a positive result. They, they don't do that. They're a lab. And so what we found was, given the fact that these consumers are able to bring a lab order with uh, a local doctor that's already on Medici, they were willing to open up access to these patients that wouldn't otherwise be able to get treated because they were either too embarrassed to go to the doctor or they didn't have their own doctor. And when we did a small uh, st utilization study, it was amazing that we were able to provide access to over 200 consumers over a 12-week period. That's a lot if you scale that. I was at six locations. So it's amazing to see how these new care delivery models are going to start shifting the access and improve health overall. Um, any any questions from the uh, you know just, yeah. The fact that you haven't established a relationship and then you never lay hands with them patient, have you found uh, any increased liability? Uh, any increased support? So um, good question. Uh, we've been around for seven years. Of course, we've had malpractice for those seven years across all of our doctors. Um, the best way to describe this is, I think an inaccessible doctor is the unsafest doctor. If you can say to the patient, I am literally here within two minutes, 
that means that anything changes, you can always reach back out to us. Um, as a doctor, you always know that the vast majority of diagnoses come from a few things. They come from asking the right questions, primarily. That's 80 to 90%. The rest is data, and that data can come from, from other labs, imaging, physical exams sometimes. Uh, and the other thing that doctors use is time, right? And whenever your primary means of communication is an office visit, you don't have the luxury of saying, let's check back in in four hours to see how you're doing, right? So because the entire interaction is asynchronous and, and mostly messaging based, you can say, if X, Y, and Z happen, reach back out. And that's perfectly documented and that's part of the care plan, right? And that's automated for the doctor. So it's just, to me, it's the safest means of practicing. I, our doctors are like, I couldn't imagine not being able to communicate and have a direct line of communication to folks. So we haven't had any issues in seven years, um, mostly. I am, yeah. Well, I was, yeah. Yeah. Sure. So that's the situation where you're like, hey, this actually isn't, you know, you need to be seen and examined because that's, that's one of those interesting use cases where the physical exam is the primary means of, of making the diagnosis. But that is, a, that is one of those diagnoses that you could make, right? But other things are, you know, where you don't need a physical exam are, are you know, 90% of issues, right? Exactly. So that's, we're never trying to pull um, visits out of the healthcare system that should be in the healthcare system. We're trying to pull them out because, hey, you don't actually need to go to the office and be examined for this diagnosis. Yeah, I think we have time for maybe maybe one more. Yeah. One more. Chris, you mentioned asking the right questions. Are there any mechanisms for your patients or members to inform the questions and get feedback to the so these are basically just iterated on for the last seven years. It's mostly been by the doctors. Uh, we probably have roughly 12,000 questions in our back end, and those are organized under chief complaint. So anytime you come at us with cough, that person's going to get the same 22 questions as another person with cough, right? And so the nice thing about asking questions is you can like, control for the grammar. You can control for how the question is asked. If it's like a weird concept, you can link out to a YouTube video and say, hey, do you have this? Right? So it's just a far better way. And our doctors would say this over and over again. They get the best histories. You know? One of the ways, an example is, you know, we know when a question set is out to a patient and they haven't responded to it. And that, that's flagged in our system because it's basically project management to manage that three-week pneumonia over the course of three weeks. So on a Friday afternoon, we sent out a question set to a woman. We don't like it when it's, they don't get back to us in like three hours. Monday morning rolled around, she didn't get back to us. She finally got back later Monday morning and she prefaced it with, I've been thinking about the answers to these questions all weekend. 
And like, so imagine that, right? When you're in an office, you get a 10 minute conversation, rapid fire, you're interrupted after a few seconds. It's nonsense. It's one of the worst ways to communicate. So that's why our doctors say online asynchronous history taking is far better. I thought you were going to say AI. Yeah, no. Yeah. no AI. I, I think this conversation could go on for a long time, but unfortunately, we have to cut it off here and get the next group up. Thank you. Thank Thanks. you very much. Thanks, this panel.